It is a joy and a privilege to be bringing the Word of God this morning, and thank you, Bruce and worship team, for stepping in and taking that um, responsibility this morning. Last Sunday, our nation celebrated its independence from the government of Great Britain, as we do each year, on the anniversary of what? The signing of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, there we go. We know what it's about, right? Um, Many of us are vaguely familiar with these lines. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For our nation's founding fathers, those, were, those rights were being withheld or severely uh, damaged, at least, by the, quote, absolute despotism of King George III in his long train of, quote, abuses, usurpations, and repeated injuries that were designed to establish what they called an absolute tyranny over these states. And they go on to list some 18 examples of such injuries and abuses and usurpations uh, to prove the point that King George III was an unfit ruler, that the colonies were in need of liberation from his reign. So on the basis of that, the assembled Congress declared the colonies to be free and independent states, absolved from allegiance to the British crown, and dissolved from all political connection to Great Britain. Equal, unalienable rights derived from a creator, liberty, Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, these are the ideals that our nation has cherished, enjoyed, defended for centuries. That's why Americans love our freedom. It's, in, it's ingrained. Uh, it's woven into the very fabric of our national uh, history. But as much as our nation loves its liberty, liberty has limits. There's no such thing as absolute limitless freedom. If everyone were free to do as they pleased, we would be much like in the book of Judges. Each man would do what was right in in his own eyes, and there would be absolute and utter chaos. And that's why we have laws and not just a, a few. Consider for a moment the staggering amount of laws, regulations, and statutes that exist in our country. This first image on the screen is a bookshelf containing the U.S. statutes at large, the official source for laws and resolutions passed by Congress, volumes 1 to 125. Or the next image, the United States Code, the codification of general and permanent laws divided into 53 titles, but again, it's more than 53 books, a lot of volumes. Or consider the infographic on this next slide about the Code of Federal Regulations, which contains 103,079,294 words. By comparison, the collected works of Shakespeare contain 885,000 words, the Bible just 788,000 words, and even the Harry Potter series only makes up 10% at a million words. Now, add to those three examples, just those three, 
Statutory codes of each of the 50 states plus D.C. plus five territories. Don't forget municipal codes for 19,500 cities, uh, villages, and towns that are incorporated across the country. And then uh, because we embrace common law, you can add the judicial opinions of federal and state courts, and that would make up tens of thousands of volumes. No one's actually sure the exact number of laws and statutes and regulations that we have in the U.S. They've tried to count them before, and they, they stopped They tried to count the criminal offenses, federal criminal offenses in in the 80s. After two years, they gave up. The director in charge at the time said, you would die and be resurrected three times and still try to find an answer to this question. It's just impossible. Now, laws on top of laws on top of laws, regulations on top of regulations, case on top of case. Are we free? Yes and no. Liberty has its limits. Regulations are required to assure that the rights of all are protected. So in today's sermon, we're going to explore the tension between freedom in Christ from legalism, strict law observance, and the freedom in Christ that we have from sin and lawlessness. That's really important. Those two things that we are holding in tension, freedom from legalism, freedom from Uh, lawlessness. Our text today is found in Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 26. Invite you to open your Bibles there now. Again, that's Galatians 5, 13 through 26. The title of the sermon is Free in Christ Following the Spirit. And this is the sermon in a sentence. In Christ you are free to live, not as the flesh desires, but as the Spirit leads. Freedom in Christ. Now, I'm going to do my best to liberate you from a long sermon today. Um, So we're going to read the text and we're going to to jump in here. Um, But I think this this is a very important uh, thing for us to consider. It's a very, um, very important topic for us today. And I hope that the Spirit of God would speak to us. Uh, through his word. So let's read. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Father, help us today. We turn to you, uh, thankful for your word, thankful for uh, the liberty that we have in Christ, and uh, Lord, we, as we're see, we will see the liberty that we have from our own sin and uh, the deception of our own hearts. We ask that you would take these words today and uh, allow them to have their full effect on our hearts. Um, cause these truths to um, not only be evident, but to be convincing and life-transforming. We ask uh, all of this for the sake of your name, and in the name of Christ we pray, amen. The sermon today has two main points, which can be found on the back of your worship folder. The first is this. In Christ, you are free from the tyranny of legalism and lawlessness. Freedom from the law, that is the whole body of laws given to the people of Israel by God, is a prominent theme in the book of Galatians. Paul states in chapter 1 that he is astonished that the churches of Galatia are so quickly deserting, turning from uh, God to believe distortions of the gospel of Christ. And one specific distortion Paul refutes is the idea that Jewish male circumcision is a requirement for followers of Christ, especially Gentile believers who, who were not uh, Jews in the flesh, as we talked about earlier. And that's the main thrust of the first half of chapter 5. I'll just read the first six verses. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, for you have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly await for the, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You see, the problem that Paul identifies here is a theological error. It's a gospel problem regarding justification, how we are made right with God. Some were apparently looking to be justified by strict law observance. They're viewing their obedience to God uh, in the old covenant commands to be circumcised as meriting or earning God's favor. This is self-justification. They would point to their obedience as the source of their righteousness. But Paul says this flies in the very face of the grace of God. He says that in in verse 40, fallen from grace. And it, it flies in the face of justification by faith in Christ. By definition, you can't earn grace. It's a gift. So, In attempting to justify themselves by the law, those who accept circumcision are actually obligating themselves to keep all of the law. And as Paul states earlier in the book, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. 
You see, he's saying the law puts you under a curse, the promise of punishment for disobedience. That's how the law worked then, and that's how law still works today. That's why we have justice dispensed. But thankfully, in Christ, you don't get what you deserve. Because all you deserve, all I deserve, is death and hell, judgment. No one is righteous, no one capable of keeping God's law perfectly. You see, the law demands what it absolutely cannot provide, righteousness. But when we put our faith in Christ, we are freely given His righteousness. That's what's meant by justification, by faith alone in Christ alone. That's why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In the cross of Christ, God's righteous wrath against sin is satisfied. Justice has been satisfied. All wrongs accounted for. All sins atoned for. That is incredibly liberating news for you today. It means you can, you can admit all of your failures and shortcomings, your sins, your struggles. You don't have to justify yourself. You can't justify yourself. But still we do it all the time, don't we? I'm just as guilty. We wrong someone. We say something hurtful. What is the gut instinct what is our gut instinct when we're confronted with our wrongdoing? Self-justification. Well, I said that because you fill in the blank. But if you've played this game before, you know it always leads to this vicious cycle of absurdity where everyone's pointing fingers, but somehow nobody's to blame. It's funny, isn't it? It's how self-justification Works. And you know what? It's exhausting. It's exhausting to come up with reasons and excuses, covers for explaining away our sin. And I found, and I'm still growing here too, that it is immensely freeing to just simply for, admit your sins, ask forgiveness from God, from those we've wronged. Because at the end of the day, all of the explanation, all the mental games we play don't actually deal with our sin. They don't actually definitively get rid of it. It's just sweeping it under the rug, stuffing it in the closet. The junk is still there. In fact, that's a great illustration. If you've got a hoarding problem, storing all of your junk out of sight doesn't get rid of it. You need to Marie Kondo that stuff, right? You need to throw it out, get rid of it. And by trusting in Christ, his atoning death on the cross, that is exactly what happens to our sin. It's dealt with. It's thrown out. It's gone. It was crucified with Christ, but it remains in the tomb. Amen. Amen. Christ is alive and your sin is dead. This is amazing. We should marvel at this. What are you trusting in for right standing with God? That's the question that this raises for us. Well, it may not be circumcision, but I want you to think about the things that you might be tempted to leverage to justify yourself. For us today, that, that might be baptism, might be church attendance, church membership, giving, certain political 
view or accurate theological convictions. None of those things are necessarily bad, and many of them are very good. But if you allow any one of those things to become a way to excuse your sin, to hide it, to sweep it under the rug, you've fallen from the grace of the gospel. Have you really trusted in Christ alone for your right standing with God? If so, Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law and given you new life by his Spirit. We see this in our text today in verse 18 when Paul says, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That is, under the curse and under the law's requirements. The tyranny of strict law observance demanded and the threat of punishment for trespasses. Now, that's not to say that the law itself was bad, but it's insufficient, right? That's why Paul goes on in chapter 3 to say, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That analogy of being under a guardian, that's extended in the first verses of chapter 4, but we can can understand this without reading those verses. When you're a dependent child, and we've got some dependent children in the room and maybe some teenagers, you know you have to live by your parents' rules. You are under their guardianship. You're not legally or financially capable of, of existing on your own. And if you're a teenager like I was, Paul's words, Galatians 4, verse 1, might really resonate with you. The heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. (laughs) Now, that's not meant to be disparaging, of course, but simply means that the child can't inherit what is his until the father says he's ready. And that's really important, right? That the law serves to guide us when we are not capable of guiding ourselves correctly. But faith in Christ liberates us not only from the tyrannical reign of law and that looming curse of punishment, but from the tyrannical reign of lawlessness of our own hearts. You see, ever since Adam and Eve distrusted God's word and disobeyed God's command in the garden, we have been plagued by disobedience to God and God-appointed authority, by lawlessness, what we call sin, which results in death and decay, just as God had warned in the garden. We see this very clearly in the list of sins that Paul gives us here uh, in our text today, in verses 19 through 21. So let's, let's read these. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These works of the flesh, what the flesh does and produces... That's the natural outworking of the desires of the flesh if you look in verse 16 and 17. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So, notice how the desires of the flesh produce total death and decay 
in the works of the flesh in a variety of spheres of human life. I'll just mention a few. Physical death and decay. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, or orgies, wild partying. The impact that these might have physically on people. Spread of STDs, the hangovers, or alcohol poisonings, or addictions to sex and alcohol, rape, or un- other wanted advances, physical death that can result. This, think of then the ripple effects on all the other realms of, of life. Mental death and decay, jealousy, envy, fits of anger, each of these reflecting an internal decay and death that enslave the mind and then ripple outward again to ruin relationships and finances and all other sorts of things. And that's the next one, relational death and decay. You see that in these words, strife, dissensions, rivalries, divisions, each of those destroying our peace, our harmony, our unity, whether families, friends, churches, communities, nations. Think of the cultural climate we live in. That is relational death and decay. Think about the spiritual death and decay. We see this in in at least a couple places in our text, sorcery and idolatry. Now, sorcery is really interesting, and I don't know if maybe Bruce got to deal a little bit with this in his Sunday school lesson. Uh, We'll look at that in just a second, a few weeks ago, talking about modern medicine. The, The word for sorcery in the Greek is where we derive our word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals. Now, I want to be clear here. Um... Modern medicine is not the same as ancient potion making, and Christians are not forbidden here from embracing the advances of benefits of medicine, but we can still see some parallels when certain medicines are touted as miracle drugs to fix all of our medical dilemmas. I want to suggest to you that placing more trust in a man-made drug than God who made man is dangerous. It's misleading. And Bruce reminded us in Sunday school recently that medicine has its limits. It isn't God. And we might even see some of that uh, death and decay um, paralleled in the dangerous side effects that are often ignored when we place our wholehearted trust, our wholehearted trust in these miracle drugs in modern medicine. It's a little different, but we see how it can displace God. Spiritually, idolatry also looks different for most of us today than in Paul's time, um, unless you're fashioning images in your home, which maybe you are, but for most of us, I think that's probably not what it looks like. But when we place something or anything in the place of God as being worth our time and attention and affection in the same way that God is, and we give priority to those things, don't we see that that spirals into all the other realms? When we attempt to make good things into God-like things, we learn that these false gods often take a whole lot more than they give, which, by the way, is never true of the real God, who gives graciously more than we can ever deserve or ask. These works of the flesh that bring death and decay are the outworking of fleshly desires. But just as Christ liberates us from the curse of the law, so he frees us 
from the desires of the flesh. Lawlessness and the deadly outcomes through the work of the cross. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now I want to I bring your attention to that word or that phrase, crucified the flesh. It might sound similar to other New Testament calls to put sin to death, for example. But Paul has chosen to use the more specific word, crucify. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have put the flesh with its passions and desires where? On the cross. Do you hear this, church? If you are Christ, if you have been bought with his blood and forgiven by faith, you can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The law brings a curse of death, but Christ has redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us on the cross. The flesh and its lawless desires bring death and decay, but when we place our flesh on the cross of Christ and live by faith in the Son of God, we are free. The cross is your declaration of independence, Christian. That is your freedom. And that represents the first half of the sermon summary. In Christ, you are free to live. Apart from Christ, enslaved by death, in Christ, you are free to live. Life and liberty are yours. But here's where I will, in, in uh, all due respect to the Declaration of Independence, we'll tweak a little bit of the, the text here. Christ's freedom, in, in contrast with American freedom, ensures his people the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness, which does finally result in our happiness. That's where the second half of the sermon summary comes into play. Live not as the flesh desires, but as the Spirit leads. We'll unpack this a little bit more in this, this point in the outline. Relying on the Spirit you are called to a new life marked by the love and service of others. We've already said that we experience liberty and life in Christ. Liberty as we're freed from the curse of the law and life as Christ frees us from the death that results from lawlessness. Liberty and life both found in the atoning death of Christ on the cross. But your liberty in Christ does have limits. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. That's why Paul says in verse 13, you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It brings up a really important fine detail regarding the role of God's law. We've said that Law was never bad, but merely insufficient. It did not provide what it demanded. The only thing it provides is the threat of punishment. But for those in Christ, there is a new kind of law that governs our lives. The old law, the old covenant, compelled obedience mainly by the external looming threat of punishment. There were some promises for, for obedience, yes, but obviously that didn't work out for anyone. But the new law in the new covenant is written on our hearts 
propels us to live as we ought by the indwelling Spirit of God. The law is not under you. The law is in you, Christian. It's in you. Consider how the role of the Spirit uh, helps us following that inward law of, of God. Look at our passage today, verses 16 through 18. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Or if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Again, note the position of the believer in relation to the law. You are not under the law. Under the law. Verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, while the flesh produces all kinds of lawlessness, death, and decay, the Spirit produces all kinds of lawful qualities and blessings in the life of a believer. So we read in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit produces the fruit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness. All those things come not from our own striving, but from the grace and goodness of God. We're not told to produce the fruit, but that's not the command. The command is to walk by the Spirit who produces the fruit. We're encouraged to be led by the Spirit, and we're exhorted to keep in step with the Spirit. It's kind of this falling in line, like marching behind the Spirit. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness via holiness. That's the call to keep in Step with the Spirit. It's a command to daily rely on the indwelling Spirit of God to produce the fruit listed in 22 and 23, the things that we could never produce in our own power. Do you lack peace? Do you lack patience? Walk by the Spirit. Do you struggle with self-control? With anger? Keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you're like me, you're kind of like, okay, that's kind of helpful, but what, is, what does that look like? How do I do it? Okay, thank, thank you. Keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what do I do? We're very practical people, aren't we? Let's put it practically. Relying on the Spirit isn't practicing some kind of mysticism. It's not seeking some radical spiritual experiences. It is a prayerful dependence, a humble act of faith that says to God, Lord, give what you command and command what you will. It's a thankful heart that trusts that God will produce the fruit in your life by his spirit. It involves a willingness to be led if you are led by the spirit. Do you want to be led? A quickness to listen to the internal promptings of God's Spirit. And, and not just some kind of, again, mystical internal thing, but also relying on Scripture. Breathed out, inspired by the very Spirit of God Himself. And of course, reliance on the Spirit involves the crucifixion of the flesh, as in verse 24. Putting sinful desires, passions, to death by placing them on the cross. I'll give you just a very practical way to do this. Say this to yourself. 
Christ died to free me from lust. Christ died to free me from greed. Christ died to free me from anger. Christ died to free me from pride. Say it. Just say it. Put it on the cross. Take your desires, name them, and place them where they ought to be on the cross. Crucified, gone, dead with Christ, buried in the tomb. Christ is alive, your sins are dead. It's about as practical as I can get. The desires of the flesh are opposed to the desires of the Spirit, so it's not surprising that... that Within this passage, Paul is, is giving specific things that outworkings of how the Galatians ought to live and act, keep in step with the Spirit, like verses 25 and 26, um, where he says, well, in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, pride, this kind of challenging, pushing spirit, um, envy, or maybe up in... Uh, Verses, uh, thinking through maybe 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. These are specific instances, uh, things that, that the Galatian churches are dealing with, outworkings of the desires of the flesh that Paul is saying, okay, you got to work on this. But listen, the antidote to pride, to infighting, to hostility and bitterness in the Christian community is a heightened awareness and reliance upon the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit produces what God desires. So rather than abolishing the law, Paul reminds us of what Jesus himself taught, right? That the law is fulfilled in the singular command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, negatively, limit placed on Christian freedom is that it not be used for an opportunity for the flesh. But positively, the calling of Christian liberty and freedom is to serve one another through love. And there's a subtle but important, very important paradox here that Christians are liberated from slavery to the law of sin, to the law and sin, only to be free slaves of one another. The word in the Greek, we, it's very easy for us to kind of PC it in the ESV, like, yeah, servants, you know. Just like a, a waiter at a restaurant. No, it's a doulos. It's a slave. You're free, so slave one another. You see that? It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Mind it's like Jesus saying, you know, if you want to save your life, life, lose it. That's the paradox here. We're free, but you're not free. Now, free from, from something but bound to something else, right? Romans 6 is undeniable, the, the links here. Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Uh, you're not under the law, but under grace. Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? No. Thanks be to God, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having be, been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. We are free in Christ, but we are also bound. 
we are bound to Christ. We are bound by the word of God. We are bound to each other. But these bonds, church, they are the best kind of bonds. This is like, like, like in a healthy marriage, the, the bonds of matrimony, right? It's not a ball and a chain. It's not meant to drown you. It's an anchor. It's meant to tether you. It's meant to keep you from smashing into the docks and into the rocks and just disintegrating. It holds you fast. It's a tether. Again, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and health, till death to us part. That's a bond worth wearing, you guys. And the call to serve one another means as we bind together in Christ by the Spirit, seek to meet each other's needs, no one will go with needs unmet. Isn't that the fascinating thing? Just like in a marriage. Rather than demanding that one's own needs be met, if each seeks to meet the other's needs, neither goes without. It's amazing how, like, this should not be so hard for us, but it is. So how do we do it? How do we find it in ourselves to serve each other in this way? We're called to serve through love. Our hands will serve when our hearts love. So do we love? That's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? So just pray, ask God, increase my heart, help me to love others, help me to serve others through love. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian. You might even say it's one of the most important things of what it means to be a Christian, to be people who are marked by love. For God is love. This is, this is our calling. But again, you're probably like, okay, give, give me some, like, that's helpful, you know. Thank you for, you know, love, love people, serve people. Practically, all right, you want nuts and bolts. Well, let's go. That could take a number of shapes or forms, right? Within the church, we serve one another in various ways. If, I don't know if you've ever given thought to this, but our servant board, our elders, pastors, office staff, volunteers, all of them working in concert to, to make the various ministries of the church go round um, by the grace of God and with reliance on His Spirit, whether small groups, Sunday school classes, worship and AV teams, men's helps, women's ministry, youth ministry, thank you for all of you who serve in these, in these roles. Thank you for your obedience to, to love and serve one another. Uh, this, is your, this is your calling, and you are walking in the right, the right things. Um, thank you. But, it, I mean, it goes outside of the four walls of the church too, right? Called to serve each other, maybe mowing a lawn for someone, raking leaves, cooking for someone when they're sick, providing a place to stay, fixing a car, working on a house, praying for one another, encouraging one another with words of Scripture, May God bind us together with these acts of love. May he do that. May each of us look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. In reliance on the Spirit, let us seek to serve one another. Use your freedom to serve. So, brother, sister in Christ, you are free today. You are free from the crushing weight of the law and the deadly outcomes of the lawlessness of your own heart. Your liberty is not to be used as an opportunity to sin, but rather used to serve others through love. In Christ, you are free to live. There's life. 
but not as the flesh desires. You're free to live as the Spirit leads. Are you walking in line? Are you keeping in step? Do you serve others in, in love? Put your fleshly desires on the cross of Christ. Walk in reliance on the Spirit. Pray for His help. What does Scripture say? If we ask, maybe, maybe some of you know this, but I don't want to ruffle too many feathers here, but I, I have been a, known to be a fan of the Harry Potter series, and, you know, there's always help at Hogwarts for those who ask, you know. Th- this, is, this is true, Christian. You say, I, I can't do it. I, I don't feel like I have the resources in myself to love other people, to serve. It's so hard. I find myself more in the desires of the flesh, in the works of the flesh, than I do in the fruit of the Spirit. Ask. It will be given. Seek out those opportunities to serve. Pursue it. Pray for that increased fruit in your life. Pray for it. More love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May the overflow of all of those things in your life bring others to know Christ. May God be glorified in your life, in your liberty, and in your pursuit of true happiness that is found in God and God alone. That is what we're called to this morning, church. Father, God, thank you for the liberty that we have in Christ. Thank you for the freedom that we have to live. Freedom from death. Freedom from sin. Thank you that we're free from our own hearts and all of the death and decay that they produce. Father, thank you. Help us to to live our lives by the Spirit, in the Spirit's power, relying on Him, turning to Him daily. Help us to crucify our flesh. Put it on the cross. Lord, you have dealt with our sin on the cross. Thank you for that. Help us to remember where our sins are. And help us to remember what your law is for us. Not something looming overhead, but living within by your Spirit. Help us, Father, to serve one another in love as we embrace this liberty in Christ. We ask in Christ's name, amen.